Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this May of 2015 is archiving family photos. We'll start off with news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad, and then we'll jump right into our top tips segment with Denise May Levenick. She's the author of How to Archive Family Photos, and she's going to be here to talk about digital photo organizing secrets. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, we will stroll through all the photo resources at the Library of Congress. And Tyler Moss is going to be here to talk to us about Family Tree University's latest course, Photo Editing and Retouching 101. And then we'll wrap things up over at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, who'll be discussing ways to celebrate National Photo Month. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. start off this episode that's devoted to archiving family photos with news from the blogosphere and here to uh, talk about it is Diane Haddad. Hi Diane. Hi Lisa. Uh, I noticed lately that you were blogging actually about um, I think it was called 25 Keepsake Family Photos Projects and that seemed to kind of fit in really well. We're going to be talking about scanning and digitizing and and organizing and all that but um, this is another aspect of archiving, which is projects and sharing and ways to kind of incorporate it into everyday life. Um, Tell us a little bit about your blog post. Well, um, we can digitize and back up and tag pictures, you know, and do everything necessary to make it easy for us to find pictures. And that's actually something that um, my husband and I are working on in our own life. But... um, thinking and you know down the line will my kids be able to find those photos because you don't just come across digital pictures the way that you might you know if you have a photo album sitting on the shelf right so um that's why i actually asked denise um, levenick the author of how to archive family photos to um send some ideas that people can use to try to to get pictures, you know, all these digital pictures to share those with their family members, you know, to so other people can enjoy them and see them. Exactly. And kind of in the process, we're, we're archiving them in a way we're we're making sure that they get found. And, And I like the fact that it really incorporates family photos into our everyday life, because then we really look like we're uh, walking the talk, if we will. We're mm-hmm. we're kind of making it part of um, their every, our kids' everyday experience. I, I know you've got kind of like five different categories here. What's the first area of family photo projects? Well, photo books, um, and she has ideas for several different themes. And then in the book, there's actually step-by-step instructions for using several different photo book services. So you can kind of get an idea. Um, You know, each one works a little bit differently and they have different um, themes and graphics you can use. And some are maybe geared towards, um, you know, doing something quicker and easier. And some are geared towards allowing the, um, the end user to just have a lot more flexibility in their choices to design a book. So you can do something quick and easy, or you can do something that's very complicated with a lot of pictures. And that's something I actually enjoy doing is putting together photo books on, um, on photo book service sites. 
Yeah, it's fun. I, I know you mentioned um, Snapfish in your blog post. I've used uh, Lulu and Shutterfly. So it's mm-hmm. it's nice that um, they're kind of easy online tools that you can do in the evening. And I've noticed that my my non-genealogy relatives really enjoy the, the short, colorful, you know, big photos and some story that's woven in along with them. Um, they're willing to look at that, maybe not a whole pile of census records, but, but they really enjoy the photo books. There are um, also for people who like to use their phones and their tablets, there are projects that you can do with different apps that will go with your smartphone and your tablet. Um, so maybe if you're, you know, trying to do things on the go, um, this might be a good option. Yeah, love it. Well, we're all on our, our tablets all the time. Um, I noticed that uh, Tree Lines has the family history uh, timeline. And you mentioned audio photo books with Shutterfly. So they have a, a photo story app? Mm-hmm, that you can narrate. Oh, how so, fun. So um, taking the concept of that you were talking about with the bright, colorful pictures and the story, you know, and just making it something people can listen to. Yeah. Oh, terrific for the kids. And then you've got card, collage, and scrapbooking projects. Um, what, what have you got in mind in that category? Well, there's a cool idea for an ancestor collage using PicMonkey, which mm-hmm. I personally have not used. I know Denise really likes that one. A tribute page, um, a digital tribute page, maybe for, you know, your mom or dad's turning 60 or 70 or a 50th wedding anniversary. I think that would be a great idea. Yeah, and I noticed you had um, doing like thank you cards on Shutterfly or Creative Effects. And I like that because have you ever noticed that when you include a family photo or a family history photo, they don't throw those cards away as fast. <laughs> you know, right. they, they start hanging around the house. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is true. And then calendar projects are another um, really great idea. Everybody needs a calendar and you can enhance it with family pictures. And that's something that's going to be on the wall all year. To um, so people can every month get a new picture. I did one of those uh, and gave one to every member of the family. And I think people really got a kick out of not only seeing the big picture at the top, but then kind of seeing where do ancestor birthdays and things that I marked on the calendar mm-hmm. fall in line with uh, their own birthdays and events. It was really neat. And they hung on to those too. Yeah, that's something to save. And then this last one is... Um, a way to print pictures on fabric. You can actually order fabric that has a picture on it, or you can print it out um, using your computer. And so that's a neat idea for, um, I've seen vintage photo towels, mm-hmm. with a, you know, a picture of maybe um, your great-grandmother and then a handwritten recipe card and the image of that printed on a towel, which is a great idea for, um, I'd love to receive something if anyone yeah. else ever wants to make one. <laughs> oh, she's putting her wish list out there. <laughs> well, there you go. You've got five different categories of items and gosh, it's only May. So you've got some time if you want to put together things for upcoming holidays or birthdays, um, photo book projects, smartphones and tablets, um, doing cards and collages and calendars and even fabric. Um, We'll have the complete list and a link over to Diane's blog post, which is really terrific. And of course, we're going to look forward to talking to Denise May Levenick herself, the author of of the book about archiving uh, in just a few minutes. So Diane, great ideas. Thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. So 
since we're talking about archiving family photos this month, it just made perfect sense to invite Denise May Levinick, the author of the book, How to Archive Family Photos, to share some of her digital photo and organizing secrets. Welcome back to the show, Denise. Hi, Lisa. So nice to talk with you again. You too. Oh, congratulations on the book. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's kind of like having a baby. It's wonderful to see it arrive. (laughs) I bet. bet. Well, you know, and the archiving, the organizing, all of those things are are so important if we want to really take care of these uh, precious mementos from our family history. You know, I was thinking about this. Um, Sometimes getting started is really the hardest part. And I'm wondering, do you have some tips, particularly from the book, that kind of make that process of getting started a little easier? Well, that is right. It, getting getting started is the toughest part. You know, we can noodle around and research and try to find all kinds of information, but it's just taking that first step and making the commitment to organize our pictures. Um, I have found that it's very helpful to forgive yourself for the sins of the past. <laughs> you know, if, if, if your pictures have been stored improperly and you know it in cardboard shoe boxes or whatever, just take a, take a deep breath and know you're going to go forward and work slowly. Um, there is such a thing as jumping in too quickly and then you create more problems. Now, if, if you know from the outset you're going to want to digitize quite uh, quite a, a lot of your your photographs. I like to pick a digital birthday, a, maybe your birthday if it's coming up, or a significant date, and then you will know that from this date forward, things, pictures that you've taken, you have taken with your digital camera, and you have um, organized them in your new digital file folder system. So you know where to look. Am I going to look in that old shoebox of photos or am I going to look on my computer for the pictures I took last month or something like that? I like that idea. You know, it's just, it gives you a nice hard and fast date. (laughs) So you kind of know to be able to make that transition with some confidence. Well, it does. And, And if you pick a date, you can remember like, well, Mother's Day is coming up or mm-hmm. just happened or um, Fourth of July. You know, it's sort of a significant date. It helps. <laughs> exactly. And then, of course, we're also going back to the old uh, historic family photos in our collections. How do you track um, what's already been done? I'm actually facing this myself because I'm lucky. I have a lot of them. So I know they're not all done. And it's keeping that straight about uh, what's been done, what hasn't, and just a, a nice organized way to do that. Well, that, that, that's true. We, we start to digitize uh, maybe a box, and then we, we, it's easy to lose track of where you are. Um, I have to make notes to myself. I have you know, some acid-free paper, and if I'm working my way through a box of photos, I try to um, work systematically through the box and then leave a little marker for myself. Uh, you know, you don't want to have to scan things twice because it exposes the photo to additional handling and, and extra light. Right. And it's better for those old heritage photos. If you just do it once and then you work within your uh, photo editing program or management system to convert the file to whatever um, resolution and format that you might need. 
Good idea. I, I like the idea. We could have just some of that acid-free paper that we obviously should have in our kind of collection of resources and even cut one in half and write on it with an acid-free pen. Hey, this is where I left off and, and be able to not feel like I can't start because I know I can't get through this entire box. Well, and, and I tell people it really helps if you work in batches. Mm-hmm. When you have a big a big collection of photos, if you organize them at first, when you know you're going to digitize, you might have them by person or some family or something like that. But then within that, before you get too detail-oriented, like pull all the black and white snapshots together, all the slides, all the 1970s color pictures, and work in batches because then you can set up your computer and the size of each um, picture that you're going to be scanning. You can set your scanner marquee. It's going to capture that little black and white snapshot. You can do several at a time if you work in batches that way. It's much faster. Yeah, great idea. Now, so as we're getting these things uh, scanned and we have to get to the organized part and it's a <laughs> question of what's the best, everybody's got the question, what's the best way to organize particularly the folders on my hard drive? so that I can find them later. I know you talk about this in the book. Well, I do. I talk a a little bit about um, digital file folder organization, and I'm a proponent of just keep it really, really simple. You know, computers are great because you can search so easily um, using Windows. I think you use Windows, Mm -hmm. and I use Mac. Maybe you use both, Lisa. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and um, you know the search command is just fabulous on our computer, so we can find things. We really don't need these intricate, many, many nested folders. It takes a long time to drill down, but um, I think it helps to have one big genealogy folder, and then if you like to organize by surnames, uh, put your family pictures within that. And I, I have a file naming system that I recommend that's very simple. Um, I aim for something very short, four parts, the name, an underscore, the date, an underscore, the place, an underscore, and then the item. And it's simple. Yeah. How do you deal with um, that question of there's multiple people in the picture? You know, it's a family. Oh, you asked that. I know. But isn't that the thing that just gets us all tied up in a knot? It does. Everybody wants to put all the names in the file name. My golly, it's so long then. (laughs) I like to use metadata. Yes. I'm just a big fan of metadata. Do you use a software program to do that? Do you go right into the file itself and work in the properties? That's the other big question people have. Yeah. Well, I tried properties and it just didn't have enough features for me. Mm -hmm. I have used um, many programs because I have gone back and forth between um, uh, Windows and Mac. And I wanted something that worked on both platforms. That was my first, uh, you know, the the first thing I was looking for. Yeah. So I... I've used X and View, which is a, a great program, and uh, Photoshop Elements, but I found it with my collection and with TIFF files, I found it a little slow. And now for about, oh gosh, nine years, eight or nine years, I have used Adobe Lightroom. And it is, I think, just a fabulous program and well worth spending the time to learn how to use it. it you can do so much. And I put all the metadata in in Lightroom, and 
and manage my pictures with that program. And of course, investing in that means you can let your computer do what it can do well, which is to search your files. And I am totally with you on this. It's staying away from uh, many, 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 many folders and relying more heavily on that keyword searching. And, you know, a lot of people out there are using Evernote to take notes. And that's the same concept is steering away from stacks and stacks of notebooks and really thinking about tagging keywords to notes. And that's kind of the same concept. If you use Evernote, I think you'll fall right into what Denise is talking about in terms of using your metadata. I love Oh, that. right, right. And, and you, I know that you, um, you're a great um, proponent for Evernote. And I, I really like it when I'm looking for pictures. Sometimes you find a, a family photo or a historic photo that you want to use in your family history. And it has some information that you want to copy, but you need to embed that metadata or make sure it's embedded with the photo. Mm -hmm. So I use Evernote to capture the picture and the page or all the metadata with the caption and all that information. And then I've got it kind of contained until I can work with it in my um, project. Great. Sounds awesome. Well, so you've already covered a lot of ground and I'm kind of curious, pulling back from all this organizing stuff, you know, you're a photo gal and I'm wondering, are there photos that you wished now looking back that you had taken? You know, what are some of, you talked about forgiving yourself up front about not being (laughs) as organized. What have you forgiven yourself about as far as just capturing your own family history because so many of us we do we get wrapped up with our genealogy and our and our historic photos that we kind of forget about taking the photos today for future memories well it just strikes me i live in pasadena california and it's a pretty old city and i've lived here since um gee 79 1979 and i notice today when i drive around some of the buildings and places i took for granted just places we used to go to eat, restaurants or different places. They're, they're going away. Mm. They're being knocked down by, um, bulldozers and new construction is taking their place. And I wish I had gone around town with a camera one day and just taken pictures of these places around my town. I really do. It could be a neat project. You know, I was just uh, speaking at uh, a public library here in Denton, Texas, and they gave me a calendar as a kind of a a gift. And it has this amazing, huge picture of um, all the horse and buggies, you know, lined up outside the new county courthouse. And I thought, how forward thinking of some of these people, (laughs) because they the whole calendar was filled with pictures around town. And we see that when we look through postcards on eBay, how forward thinking they were to to take a few moments to just take some pride in what they're what they have today and capture it and maybe not even realizing that they were giving us a picture of what things look like that are long gone. Oh, right. But the things of of our childhood, like the local McDonald's that really did have golden arches, that's gone. Mm -hmm. And it would be so fun to just have a photo of that, you know. Well, there you go. Well, wonderful uh, words of wisdom. So there you have it, everybody. You've got some projects to do in terms of taking care of the photos that you already have, but a little bit of inspiration too from our wonderful Denise May Levenick to make sure that we're continuing to capture 
our experience so we can share it with our future descendants. Denise, I love the book. It's called How to Archive Family Photos. Thank you so much for taking time out to, again, share all your photo wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to talk with you, Lisa. In this 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, I want to take a few minutes to share with you one of my favorite websites that I turn to when I'm looking for old photographs online, and that is the Prints and Photographs Online Collection portion of the Library of Congress. You'll find it at loc.gov pictures. Here you'll find a vast array of old photographs that have been digitized. Now, a lot of these are of very historic moments in time, but other ones are just capturing moments in time through photographs, ephemera, um, that type of print medium that's been digitized. And I think you might be surprised as you browse through the different categories that there are probably several here uh, in this vast array of categories that you can choose from that might just touch on some portion of your family tree and uh, the point in history in which your family lived in a certain location or were involved in certain events. Um, Let me give you some ideas here. You've got everything from Ansel Adams photographs um, of Japanese American internment at Manzanar to the Brady and Handy collection of old photographs. And these are from the Civil War time period to, oh gosh, a collection of daguerreotypes, um, Farm Security Administration, the Office of War Information, black and white negatives, um, collections of drawings, the Detroit Publishing Company, um, fine prints, cartoons, even Civil War glass negatives and related prints. I mean, it would take forever to go through all of these, but um, I think you'll be just amazed at the, the wide variety. Now, there's a couple of different ways to take advantage of the website. I just wanted to point a couple of things out to you to to keep in mind as you head there. You'll find across the top that there are uh, two tabs, at least right now uh, in May of 2015, as I look at the website. One is their featured collections. And um, the one that caught my eye right off the bat was historic American buildings. Um, All kinds of interesting information there. But the second tab is the Civil War. So there's a real emphasis on materials from the Civil War. And I think this would be prime place to go if you are researching that area of your family tree. You'll also, of course, find the search box. And these items are keyword searchable. Of course, they've been cataloged as they would be in any library catalog. So there's just a wealth of information that you can search on. And if you need a little bit of help in that searching, you're going to find the advanced search link. It's just to the right of the search box at the top of the page, as well as a link to help. And I wanted to make a mention of this because so often we work harder than we have to if we are not um, very familiar with a collection or how a website functions. Sometimes just investing a few moments to look through the help section of whether it's the Library of Congress website or any other website can save you so much time. Different search engines have different search operators they'll let you work with. Um, some don't work in other ones, so you have to kind of be familiar with those. And they answer some basic questions here about um, downloading and linking tips if you want to include some of these images on your own website or you'd like to be able to use them in your own work. 
So they have search tips. Uh, If you're not finding enough, what do you do? If you're finding too many things and you need to narrow it down, um, strategies to to be able to do that here on this website. Uh, How to search by time period and place, also by number, which of course would be the, the ID number they've assigned to the item or the call numbers to even things like they frequently ask questions on um, why isn't an image displaying? Um, Sometimes it might be a browser that you're using, or you need to clear the cache on your web history. Those kinds of answers can be found here in this help section. And it's very good. And most importantly, they do have a link providing information on how do I get permission to use an image found in the catalog. And also uh, a bit of information about best ways to, to download them and sizing on images. So there's a lot to work with here. And if you are interested in kind of staying abreast of uh, what's coming online, because as you can imagine, like so many collections, there are new things coming out all the time, you might want to click the subscribe button. Now I see it here on the help page. And in fact, it is on the home page of the prints and photographs online catalog page. If you click subscribe, that's going to give you an opportunity to subscribe to some of the blogs and ongoing news and information that comes out of the Library of Congress. And in particular, you can subscribe to their picture this blog. It highlights the collections, research tips, upcoming programs, and kind of gives you a behind the scenes sneak peek at at just the entire prints and photographs division. So you can get this by an RSS feed through maybe a feed reader like Feedly, or you can opt to have it uh, emailed to you. So when something new comes out, you'll get an alert and you'll know what's going on with this collection at the Library of Congress. And one more thing to point out on this page is that there are two additional important links that you'll find under the more resources section. One is a link to the prints and photographs reading room. And that brings you into a whole nother area of the website with lots of great information and um, how you can visit the reading room uh, when they're open, how to make the most of your trip to the Library of Congress. There's also a link called Ask a Prince and Photographs Librarian. And uh, this brings me to another important tip, which is don't hesitate to take advantage of these types of links when you find them on websites. Uh, I interview a lot of archivists and librarians, and they'll say, so often people are timid about asking, they think, you know, maybe they won't get an answer back or whatever. But uh, that's what they're here for. And they actually have several different ways that you can get in touch with them. You can write them at the Library of Congress, contact them by phone, or use their online form. And uh, there's lots of information here to guide you to that. So if there's something in particular that you are looking for that uh, you don't see here, Of course, it's very possible it hasn't been digitized yet. And that's where talking to one of the archivists and librarians there at the Library of Congress could really help lead you to some items that could really enhance your family history. So check it out. It is the Prints and Photographs online catalog at the Library of Congress. You'll find it at loc.gov slash pictures. Digital photography tools are essential for genealogists, not only for capturing family memories now, but also for preserving, retouching, and editing their historical photos. Well, from scanning and uploading these pictures to your computer to 
fixing damaged areas and reprinting there. There's an hour long webinar video from expert Nancy Hendricks uh, at Shop Family Tree that's going to revive and reinvigorate your family photo collection. And here to share some tips from that video is Family Tree University Dean Tyler Moss. Hi, Tyler. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me back. Well, this one fits right into our theme this month. And um, I, I know that one of the things that Nancy talked about in that webinar recording uh, is that there are free photo editing software programs out there. We don't have to necessarily invest a lot of money right up front. What's one of the programs that she recommends? So one of the programs that she talks about, and actually one of my favorite programs, is a program that's called PicMonkey, PicMonkey.com. And that's a free one where you can go online, um, you can upload your photo for free, and you can do everything from, you know, editing the size or cropping it online to, um, you know, adding a neat kind of overlay like you would on a program like Instagram or adding words to it to kind of make it a little bit more interesting. She also talks, what I think is really cool, um, is she talks about apps that are on your phone, where once you take a picture on your phone, you can actually edit the photo on your phone without having to kind of go through the irritating process of first having to transfer it to your computer, then fix it in one of these browser you know, browser programs, and then save it. So you can just edit it as soon as you take it on your phone. Um, the one that she talks about that comes to mind for me is a program called Pixlr, which is really cool, and um, really is, is a very simple program to use just right there from your phone on both iPhones and, and on Androids. Well, yeah, because not only are we working with the old pictures, but we're actually creating those new family memories, and, and that's where it's happening on our phone. I love being able to do it right on the phone before I, I send it over to uh, some cloud storage. Now, let's double-check the spelling. Nowadays, all these websites are, are leaving out vowels and things. So is PicMonkey, P-I-C-M-O-N-K-E-Y? That is correct. That is how you spell PicMonkey. Uh-huh. And Pixlr okay, is Okay, so P- there's no K in there. <laughs> yes, correct. Exactly. No K in there. It's, and then um, Pixlr is P-I-X-L-R. So there's no E in there either. Exactly. Okay, perfect. So there's a couple of, obviously, great tools we can work with. But even then, I think people get kind of stuck when it comes to scanning the photos. Um, They're hesitant because they don't want to do it incorrectly, because there's nothing worse than finding out, oh, my gosh, I have to start all over again, because I didn't do the right format, or I didn't do the right, um, you know, DPI, those dots per inch. What are some of the recommendations that Nancy makes about how to scan your photos? Like what format you use? Absolutely. Well, I think the thing to keep in mind is that not all file formats are created equal. And the one that she recommends primarily for scanning is to scan it with, uh, into the format TIFF. That's T-I-F-F. And a TIFF is a large, lossless file that's really good for archiving images. And that's because while to the naked eye, there may, there may appear to be you know, really little difference between a TIFF and a JPEG, um, the thing is that each time a file is saved in a JPEG format, some information is lost during compression. It's very slightly compressed, and you end up losing a little bit of that data. But a TIFF file can be repeatedly opened, edited, and saved without any loss of data. So if you want to edit or enlarge your digital images sometime in the future, it's wise to scan uh, in a TIFF format. Yeah, I would really agree. I, You know, that uncompressed is the idea. It takes a little more space on the computer, but it's worth it because we're talking a, a long-term investment here. And, and of course, with a JPEG, if you were to go in and then fix a little some, you know, mistake, 
some error or some tear on a picture and then resave it again. Every time we resave, like you say, it, it loses a little bit. Um, any other um, tips? You know, now we've got the right format. What else does she talk about? Um, I mean, she talks about other things that are important, such as ideal, um, just things about image resolution. I'm explaining some of the terms that might confuse people, such as what a DPI means. Of course, that is a term we use when we're discussing the size of an image, um, which means dots per inch. And I think she goes a little bit more in depth into you know, what the ideal image size is for when you're scanning, how how much you can um, compress it down while still being able to really get, catch all that detail that you want to. Um, and then mm-hmm. some of the other things that she goes over just in the webinar in general are uh, how to organize photos on your computer, which is just something you kind of take for granted, but is, is so important in the long term when you're thinking about organizing things on your hard drive and when you want to go back in time and find a photo you've scanned in the past, you know, having a really smart and intuitive folder hierarchy to f- um, know immediately where you've stored something. I think that's huge. Boy, if we can't put our hands back on it, I don't think it counts. <laughs> you know, we, we can't feel like we really accomplished something when, when things get kind of jumbled on the hard drive. So, you know, all, all the important things that you would need to know about uh, taking on that scanning and working with your old photos. Um, let's see here. So the name of this particular webinar, it was a webinar, it was videotaped. So now it's on demand. It's called Photo Editing and Retouching for Genealogists. And uh, you can find it at Shop Family Tree. We'll have a link specifically over to it in our show notes. Um, great ideas. Thanks so much, Tyler, for all the tips. Absolutely. And then uh, thanks again for having me. Well, May is National Photo Month, which, of course, is one of the reasons that we decided to focus in on family photos on this episode. And I'll bet that you have a few fun ideas on ways to celebrate. As a matter of fact, I do. I have four ways that family historians can celebrate National Photo Month. So you want to hear them? Yes, please. Okay. Number one is scan. So we've talked about archiving already in this episode. Um, A great way to honor your family's photo legacy is to preserve those old family snapshots by digitizing them. Whether you use your home scanner, a portable device like the FlipPal, an app on your tablet, getting those in digital format is a great way to preserve them. Of course, don't forget to back those files up. And you'll find more advice for that in the new book, How to Archive Family Photos. Um, you heard from Denise earlier in this episode on about that book. Yes. And boy, can't reiterate that enough, right? Back up, back up, back up. <laughs> we're, we're putting so much time and energy into this. We don't want to lose anything. Exactly. So how about number two? Next, um, I suggest identifying. So, you know, we all have huge collections of photos, digital, physical, what have you. Um, And it's easy to overlook the identifying part because, after all, we know who's in our pictures. We don't (laughs) need to have them labeled. But when those get passed on to someone else eventually in future generations of your family, you don't want them to have to deal with the photo mystery. So a great task, take 15 minutes um, a day or, um, you know, on the weekend or something like that. Label those photos so that people in the future will know who is in them and what occasions or locations are being depicted in those photos so you don't have photo mysteries in your family tree. 
Yeah, exactly. And that we're not doing what so many of our ancestors did, which is assuming everybody knows who everybody is. So, you know, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great? Sit down and listen to a podcast episode. And while you do that, you sit there and you label your photos, right? Right. Absolutely. That's a great way. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Maureen Taylor's book, Family Photo Detective, is a great resource if you have received some of those unlabeled family photos and you're trying to put faces or dates or other information to those photos, be sure to check that out. Yes, perfect. We'll, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And uh, number three, another way to celebrate photo month here in May. Well, I think that it's not super useful to have all of those photos. It's great to have photos, but they don't do anybody any good sitting in a box somewhere or lurking on the depths of your hard drive. So it's so important to actually share them with other people and get them out in a format that you can enjoy yourself. Um, that's why that book of Denise's features different projects that you can create. So some of my favorite projects that would be easy to tackle during National Photo Month are a photo book. Take your family history images, use a service like Shutterfly. You can create a book of, you know, family tombstones, of ancestor photos, of places your family lived. The list goes on. And when you create something on a service like Shutterfly, your relatives can order copies too. So it's not just for you to enjoy. Besides photo books, another project I like is a calendar. Everybody has to have a calendar. You need that in life. So that's a great way to share some family history images with your relatives. Um, if you're web savvy and inclined, you might want to post to a photo sharing service like Flickr or Google Plus Photos. Um, you can then share that link with family members so they can enjoy the photos too. Um, and then if you're really intrepid, you could start a blog of family history images. That would make really excellent cousin bait. So if you've got some great ancestor photos and you want to see if you can um, connect with other people who might be your distant cousins, putting them out in a public way, like on a blog, is a great way to do that. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, you could use a service like blogger.com. That's free. Um, Tumblr, which is also really popular. And of course, adding all that keyword information, all the descriptions, be very descriptive about your pictures, because it's all that text that people will be googling on those keywords, and then your blog will pop up. So I love that idea. And um, number four, last but not least, I know there are some people out there listening and thinking, well, I don't have images of my family history. Well, National Photo Month, what a great occasion to do some research and find some more. So research is the fourth uh, way to celebrate National Photo Month. And there's lots of ways that you can look for things. Um, it may be challenging to find pictures of your actual ancestors, although that's possible. You could look, try eBay or markets or some of those photo reunion sites are a great um, way to look for people's names. Um, but don't just think about ancestor photos. Think about other images related to your family history. For example, you might want to look up pictures of the town where your family lived or the state or the county. Um, how about historical events that they lived through or postcards from places that they lived and visited? Um, one thing that I find really interesting is the social history aspect of genealogy. And so I like to look for things like ads for products that my ancestors would have used. 
that gives kind of a often humorous look into their lives that I think really kind of fleshes out the story. Yeah, I love it. And I love that when you go to eBay, which is one of my favorite spots, you can um, do that search and then you could save it and have it actually run the search for you on an ongoing basis is one of your favorites to kind of deliver those kinds of goodies all year long. I mean, what could be better than having them do some of the research? Absolutely. I love services and tools that automate it because I'm busy and I know that our listeners are busy too. And if you can get the technology to do the heavy lifting for you, that saves you time that you can spend on further research. I love it. Okay, there you have it. Four ways to celebrate National Photo Month. One, scan. Two, identify. Three, create. And four, research. Perfect list. Great way to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much, Allison. Thanks, Lisa. And happy National Photo Month to all our listeners. Thanks so much for joining me for this May 2015 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, get going archiving your family photos with Denise May Lovenick's book, How to Archive Family Photos, which is available at shopfamilytree.com. And then you can head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And there you're going to find the show notes for this episode, which will include our top tips, all the website links, and a link to the photo editing and retouching 101 course at Family Tree University. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes, and there is an app for that. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. <music>